if you don't understand the disease of alcoholism, you'll never get the Al-Anon program. You will never get recovery in its finest because I took it personally. And most people take what's going on in an alcoholic home personally. So I was taught about alcoholism. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Bienvenidos, my amigos and my amigas. That was the voice of Miss Vinoy S that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you will be hearing so much more from her in just a moment. But first things first. This episode, the one your ears are bent to right now and absorbing, this one is brought to you by Tanya and Brian. Do you know what Tanya and Brian did? Well, let me tell you, folks. Tanya and Brian went to our website, SoberSpeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow PayPal tab, and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Tanya and Brian, for your generosity. This episode is for youans. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged. You can't see me doing my little namaste hands right now, but I am. Truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table and let's get started. Last week, I uh, was not here. I put a, uh, I was able to put an episode on uh, an automated release. I think I talked about that on uh, last week's episode, but I I took my family on a little uh, quite deserved uh, getaway. Uh, We went to uh, Cresta Butte, Colorado. Now, some of you know this if you've been listening to the uh, podcast for a couple of years, but uh, generally speaking, uh, we will attend the Cresta Butte Mountain Conference, which is up there in Cresta Butte around this time of the year. However, this year, the conference was canceled something about like a pandemic or some some excuse like that i'm just kidding but in all seriousness uh, this uh that um uh, that conference the conference the crested view conference mountain conference up there in crested view colorado 
has been going on now for like 38 years, I believe, something of that nature. Uh, and this is the first time that it ever had to cancel. And generally, uh, when we go up there, there's lots of Al-Anon, lots of AA meetings. Uh, there's a, a, all kinds of conference activities that you can do with people in Al-Anon, in AA. And uh, it's just a big kind of a, a family get together, if you will. But as I said, it was canceled this year, but I decided to uh, go back up there. I, even if there's not a conference, it's still a beautiful place to be and a beautiful place to visit. By the way, I have no connection or not getting paid anything for Crested Butte. Uh, I just uh, uh, happen to really uh, enjoy that uh, area. And so I took a trip up there with my family. And, you know, probably it's interesting. <laughs> One of the most, um, uh, one of the places that we created the most memories, if you will, is all the conversations and all the laughter we had getting up there, getting back. Yeah, there were some times. It wasn't all laughter. There were times where we got on each other's nerves when you're uh, stuck in a car with each hour for 13 or 15 hours. Uh, um, but uh, we uh, but we definitely enjoyed going up there and going back. Uh, I was able to go out and do some fly fishing with my son. Um now, I thought it was going to be like a scene out of uh, A River Runs Through It, uh, if any of you guys know that film. Uh, but uh, it was, uh, I, you know, here's the deal. I didn't catch any fish, at least in the river. I'll tell you more about that in a second. But so the the fly fisherman guide would get us in the water and he got us all set up and, you know, gave us our our, our fly fisher poles, <laughs> whatever they're called. And we would, we would cast the flies out there. I had a few um, fish tug on the fly, but I never actually got to reel anything in. And my understanding is, and if you're a fly fisherman, you're going to understand all this, or fly fisher person, I guess that's the way to say it nowadays. Anyway, if you uh, enjoy the art of fly fishing, um, what what happens is really, I guess uh, the the guide was telling us in in March and April, where in the sp- where the the rivers are really cold and and they're and they're running, uh, and you know the the warmth hasn't bothered the fish, and they haven't seen about a million flies all summer long. Uh, they're actually much more prone to bite, and you can actually get uh, some uh, real big uh, like rainbow trout and stuff like that, but. Nonetheless, what they did finally after doing that for a couple, three hours with no luck with me and my son, but, but it was fun, you know, just walking in the river and, and, uh, enjoying the scenery. It's just so beautiful out there. Uh, they took us to a, a, a catch and release pond. I think this is what they do for the city slickers, uh, like at the end of it. Uh, they take you over there to this pond that is, uh, stacked with, all these trout and I guess other kinds of fish. I don't know what's in there, <laughs> but you go ahead and you, uh, you, and then they even, they kind of, uh, what do you call it? They, they, they get the fish close to the edge by throwing in fish food, which, they, which the, which the, uh, the trout like. And so the fish are come up and they start eating it, all this fish food. And then you throw your fly in there amongst the fish food and they're just going crazy and they can't tell any difference and they bite the, uh, the fly. And then you can, you know, you reel it in and you're kind of going through all the gyrations, you know, you get to feel the tug of the line with the fish and all that sort of 
of stuff, but it is very much cheating, if you will, but nonetheless. So then you bring the fish up on the shore, and they get the net out, and you, me, go into the water with the fish and the guide, and you hold up the fish, and you take a picture. It looks like you've been out just catching fish left and right, but uh, and then they they unhook the fish and just let it back into the water. So it was a it was an interesting experience. I I enjoyed it, uh, but. You know, I'm not exactly uh, uh, an expert in fly fishing, even though I did tell my family on the way back, I said, you can now call me an angler. Yes, I am a professional angler because they kept saying when they were taking us out, the guide was taking us out, how many anglers will be going out with us today? And I said, well, you got me and my son. Here we are. Nonetheless, uh, my my boy also did it, uh, an extensive amount of uh, bike riding. Uh, now, well, this is the deal. Also, usually when he's going up there, he likes to do downhill. Uh, what they here's what they do: they throw the bike on top uh, on the back of the the ski lift, and and they just they they take the bike up there, and then you're at the top of the mountain, and you ride your bike down. Well, now, and when I say now, at this time in history with COVID-19 and such, they considered that a little uh, too much a high touch. So they couldn't get him up there on the ski lift, but we found a way to get him up. You know, we drove up this path and got him up the mountain where he could come down. And uh, he really enjoyed that. And uh, the family went whitewater rafting one day. I didn't get to go to them with them. I had some business meeting or something. I actually took a couple of, of business meetings, not too many, but I didn't get to go with them. And, it, and whitewater rafting is not my deal anyway. But um, one of the favorite parts for me is I got to go to a uh, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting there in the small town of Crested Butte, and it was me and three other guys, and uh, everyone's masked up, uh, masked up, um, but we were able to share with each other, and uh, it really, uh, it, I don't know, it just somehow. Um, uh, it just meant a lot to me. We had out at a lot of uh, great restaurants there in Mount Crested Butte. Uh, and I, the, one of the things that I really enjoyed the most about it is I was able to sit down there, um, in on the the main drag of the street and drink some coffee and do a little reflection. Um, I, I, I absolutely just loved it. Uh, my kids actually started school up there. They, 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 Spent the first two days of school up there. They were able to do it online, and uh, their classmates would be looking in the background at the mountains and them wearing uh, uh, sweaters and stuff, saying, "Where are you?" <laughs> uh, the weather, oh, the weather was absolutely great. It was in the high thirties, low forties at night, and the mid seventies during the day. And uh, back here in Texas, we have had a week of a hundred plus degrees weather, and so it was great with that. The only downside that I can think of to the entire trip is uh, my family seems to do fine, but I had some issues with the altitude. When I say issues, uh, my my, uh, my oxygen level was like the high 80s a lot of the trip, and I just couldn't sleep very well at night because of that. You know, but when you're up at, you know, when you live at basically sea level and you're up there at a... Oh, I think I think the minimum is seven thousand. It can go up to ten thousand feet, depending on where you are on the mountain. It does cause a few issues, but nonetheless, we are back and settled in Tejas. Uh, 
Texas, and uh, glad to be back here. Now I'm back to my what I call my dull, boring routine, which I absolutely love. And part of my dull, boring routine is bringing episodes uh, to you guys who are listening in. Now on to Miss Vinoy S. Vinoy is a treasure. She has been in Al-Anon since 1969. Yes, 1969, that is 51 years in Al-Anon and still going strong. She came into Al-Anon in Lubbock, Texas, and as she says it, with two black eyes and a busted lip. She had seen, Vinoy had seen an article by Ann Landers. Now, some of you listening to this may not know who Ann Landers is, but she's kind of like a, a Dear Abby type of person, if you know who that is. So anyway, there was an article in the paper, the paper that prompted her interest in recovery, and she took that as a chance to part ways with the honky-tonk she called the Bloody Bucket. <laughs> You know, we talk about that in here, and uh, we cover a variety of topics, a wide-ranging variety of topics. Wait a sec, they'd be saying the same thing, right? Wide-ranging topics and variety of topics would be repeating myself, basically, but you get the idea. We talk about her family issues she had to deal with back then, and the family issues that she still still has to deal with today, and we have some real interesting conversation around uh, or regarding the use of the big book in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, This is an episode, folks, you're going to want to listen to all the way through to the end as it is full of wisdom and insight. And I have, uh, as I'm recording this, I texted Vinoy today and I will be posting in the show notes, if she gets it back to me, and I'm assuming she is going to, uh, the step study that Vinoy brings up in this uh, episode. Uh, it's a Zoom meeting with a password. Vinoy told me that any of you can join at any time in the step study, and all are welcome. So, that is Vinoy S. So buckle up, folks. Enjoy the ride, and we will have plenty of... Listener feedback at the end of a noise episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here. We're very fortunate to be sitting here with Miss Vinoy S of the Al-Anon family group. And uh, I've been looking forward to this particular episode uh, to record it for quite some time because as most of you know, uh, the majority of what I do out there is uh, AA and we have a absolutely fabulous representative of Al-Anon here in Vinoy S. So first of all, first things first, Vinoy, why don't you go ahead, uh, introduce yourself, Tell people where you live and tell them how long you have been involved in Al-Anon. Thank you, sir. Uh, my name is Benoit Shaw. I am an Al-Anon. I came into this magnificent fellowship of ours February the 7th of 1969. That means I have 51 years. Wow. I came in in Lubbock, Texas, and I now reside in Justin, Texas, which is just right outside of Dallas. And I have a plethora of alcoholics that I love. 
<laughs> Good to know. And I know one of those alcoholics that you love uh, is a gentleman who, uh, well, there's a couple people who actually kind of referred me over to you. I'm going to go ahead and mention them on the top of this episode. Number one is Jimmy D. Most of the listeners here on this podcast know Jimmy D because he's been on several times. He's done a, a, a live event with me. And the other is a, a lady named Anicia over in uh, uh, Australia. Uh, down under, uh, she yes. uh, she emails me about you on a consistent basis, and she absolutely loves you. I think you're her grand sponsor. Is that correct? I am, and she is so passionate about recovery in Al-Anon. She's just a charming, dear person, very, very active. That's great. And you've known Jimmy D for quite some time, right? Oh, I've known him since he was a babe. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So a couple things I want to ask you right off the bat. Number one, 1969, what was Alan? Oh, gosh, I'm sure you've seen so many changes over the years yes. from 1969 to now. Can you summarize that in a, you know, a few bullet points for us? Yes, I can. And, and I'd love to. You know what? I came in, number one. I was the first one. I went to this. It was called the Central Group in Lubbock. There was about, I think, four groups at the time. And I was the only one who came in without an alcoholic bringing me in with him. Mm. I came to Al-Anon by myself. Mm. And I stayed that way. I was the youngest in my group at the age 29 and or 28, whatever it was. And uh, stayed the only one for about six months. And then some others started coming. So it was quite the thing. And it was in a clubhouse. And I went into this one room, was the Al-Anon room. They had a coffee room, which is very significant to me. And then they had a big room, which was the AA room. And that's where they had the open AA meetings on Saturday night. So it was just understood that you went to Alamon and then you went to the open AA meeting. I mean, it was just not even a question. That's just what you did. And we'd have breakfasts there. We'd have picnics there. It was truly, truly, truly family recovery in 1969. And for some time afterwards, it was just the family. We were included. Uh, we kind of, that's kind of changed over the years, much to my heartbreak really separated and you know you can't say this you can't say that you can't go over there and you can't do this and some of the spirit of Alan I think has changed a little bit through the years but that's about it same beautiful recovery program and the other question I wanted to ask you about was your uh your name uh, I don't think I've ever come across another Vinoy what where did do you have, do you run across many Vinoys no, I don't. Uh, there are some Vanoys. That's a surname. And my name came from my mother was listening to a baseball game, the Lubbock Hubbers, and uh, the one of the ball players. His last name was Vanoy, and she spelled it like it's spelled V A N N O Y, which I have found is really a French name spelled B E N O I. Ah. So, you know, she was from Lubbock, Texas, and 
Benoit came out, Benoit. <laughs> <laughs> and no, I've never heard anyone else with that first name at all. Well, that is very cool. You're very unique. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so I love it. All right. So then let's go back to 1969. Yes. Was there a particular event or uh, yeah, a day? What, what brought you in on that day in 1969? I'll tell you, two black eyes and a busted lip. Mm. That was the last time I ever wanted that to happen. I was sitting in a mild green rocking chair. My two kids were in the bedroom, literally staying away from me because they never knew when I was going to explode. And I was sitting there thinking, I cannot do this one more time. I was living with a practicing alcoholic. He was very violent, volatile. You never knew when my house was going to explode. And he worked out of town. This was on a Thursday. And I thought, I can't go through another weekend. It was truly my surrender. It was truly my bottom. I had tried everything I knew to get him to stop drinking. I left him, came back, left him, came back, swore I never would, came back. And that afternoon I knew, I knew I was done. I was broken. I was done. And I had read a couple of months prior to that an article in Ann Landers. And a woman had written in about her drinking husband. And what I remembered was that Ann told her to call Alcoholics Anonymous. So I just got up, went to look at the phone book, looked up Alcoholics Anonymous and called them. And that's something I would, prior to, prior to this day, I would never ask anybody to help me. I don't need any help. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> I can do this by myself. I'm fine. I'm just fine. But that day I wasn't, and I made that call. And the guy was just as sweet. I don't remember his words. I just remember his kindness. And he gave me a telephone number, and I called it, and it was a woman. She told me to come to her house, which I did. Now, again, I don't do these kind of things. I don't go to some stranger's house and tell them my story. No. But I went. Her house was clean and spotless, and that just amazed me. Right there, my house was chaos. And she sat and talked to me and come to find out she was a sober member of AA. And a few minutes later, her sober husband came in and they both talked to me. And I'll tell you, I I just, I owe my sanity to Alcoholics Anonymous. Those two precious people didn't just, you know, poo-poo me off because I was just an Mm Al-Anon. They took me in and talked to me for a couple hours. And uh, gave me for the first time that I, I remember my whole life, they gave me some hope that maybe there was some hope here and made arrangements to take me my first meeting and that they did. So nice. So how was that first meeting? Well, it's, it's, it's imprinted on my mind like crazy. He pulled up into the parking lot, got out of his car, walked around by the car, and looked like he was heading to my side of the car. And I heard it already jumped out. So he 
pointed to the door and we started walking to the door and his wife was behind him. He got to the door and I was right behind him. He opened the door and held it open. And I looked at him and I thought, well, what, what, why didn't he go in? What's he doing? <laughs> and he was just standing there and he looked at me and I looked at him and I looked at him. And I, why don't you go in? And then he gestured for me to walk through the door. And then it hit me. He has mistaken me for a lady. <laughs> I had never in my life had a man open a door for me. I had seen it in the movies. And that's the only place I'd ever seen it. <laughs> that, you know, when you're out at the honky-tonk called Bloody Bucket, nobody opens it. <laughs> <laughs> and I walked through that door, and this is why that coffee room is so imprinted in my brain. There was an old-timey cigarette machine at the back of this little hall, and they had the little cigarette packages on there all lit up a row, you know, so you could pull the knob and get the one pack that you wanted and there was two guys leaning up against that machine talking and laughing and the colors of those cigarette packs were like a glow on their face and they were laughing real real laughter and I hadn't heard that in so many years there is no laughter in an alcoholic home mm -hmm. there's either dead silence are screaming and that laughter I just stopped I stopped in my tracks in a second I felt his hand on my shoulder and it woke me out of my little trance and then he pointed to the Alnon room and she went into the Alnon room with me and she sat with me now she to my knowledge she had never been to an Alnon meeting before and never went again but she went in to sit with me so I wouldn't be alone. Mm. And to this very day, I always look for a newcomer and make sure that they've got somebody to sit with. And usually I invite them to sit with me because I will never forget that day or that night or that woman pat me like she did. And so I, that's my pay it forward, if you will, is to look for the newcomer and have her a chair. And then I was looking around these people. I do not know what was said. I have no idea. Probably for about the first month. But what I do know was the spirit in the room, the feeling in the room. I don't I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it, but I just I immediately felt safe. They were talk, talking about drinking. And they were laughing about some of it. <laughs> and I, that's all I remember. They were talking about drinking. And they were laughing. It was enough that hooked me for life. That's for sure. And I like to describe it. Uh, there's the book, uh, The Prophet by Cahill Chagahong. And he's got a passage in there that says, say not that you're in the heart of God. Excuse me. Say not that God is in your heart, but that you are in the heart of God. And I, I know that's what happened to me that day. And those beautiful, pressed, clean people gave me that feeling. Yeah. Awesome. So, and now here is always comes the challenge with me with uh, people like you, and I mean this in a complimentary way, and that is, how do we cover 51 years in a half an hour or so? Can't. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, you can't, right? I guess you hit some highlights. So first of all, let me ask this. That that husband of yours that you were with, that uh, when you came into the program, did he ever find any sort of recovery? No. not Well, let me rephrase that. I divorced him. And then 26 years later, he got four years of sobriety, four and a half years of sobriety. By that time, I had remarried and moved to California. But we had spoken and had kind of become friends. And when he died, my current husband, Jim, just helped me pay for his funeral. So me and my two kids buried him. Now, I have to say, that's my first husband. It certainly wasn't my first alcoholic. (laughs) I had a plethora of alcoholics. (laughs) And uh, I was gently called that slut puppy hoe. That's what I was. (laughs) And I had three major alcoholics. And the one prior to him was a, a gambler. And I lived with him. So to say my husband brought me here would not be the truth. Several alcoholics brought me here. Uh, I referred to the bloody bucket. It opened at 2 a.m. and that's where I met the gambler. And I lived with him and I had a daughter by him, my daughter, Tracy. And he's a huge part of what I need to tell you. Um, after I had that child, he, you know, he never mentioned marriage. I never mentioned marriage. I knew that I wasn't marriage quality of woman. I knew what I was. I, I felt at that point I was just a piece of garbage. And the fact that he took care of me was just magnificent, much less marriage. And that was in the late 60s when, you know, you didn't have a baby out of wedlock. You just did not. But he asked, he came to the hospital and asked me not to, to, to move out. And I did. And this is what I did after that. I I believe, I'm on a sidebar here. You know, they say that alcoholism, it's the isms that make up the characteristic of alcohol, alcoholics. The alcoholist part of that. Well, my great-grand sponsor, who was Marcy White, said that Al-Anon have isms also. So we have a list of isms, and part of that is that I used at that moment was fear of abandonment. You cannot abandon me. You can treat me any way you want to, which he did. He beat me up, shot at me, took off top of my ear. You can do all that. Just don't leave me. Don't abandon me. I have manipulation. I have control. I have vengeance, vengeance, vengeance in my heart. So I took all this and made a plan to get him back, which was to go find a guy, a gambler that he didn't like, that had bad blood between them, and got him to take me out to the bloody bucket to make this gambler jealous. And so he would come get me and take me back and blah, blah, blah. That kind of backfired on me. He And a couple of days later, he took a shotgun and blew this man's head off. Oh, my goodness. And was, of course, arrested for murder and... I had to deal with that. My parents told me not to ever come back to their house again. 
And if anybody asks if I was the daughter, please tell them I wasn't. And I, I agreed with that. It, you know, I, they were good, good people, and I had no reason to take this into their life. So I stayed away from them. I decided that I needed to do something to straighten my life out, and that's when I went over the rodeo grounds and got this cowboy. He was going to fix me. <laughs> <laughs> he was a red-blooded old American. He was going to fix me. And come to find out, you know, he was just like a gambler. He just wore a cowboy hat and the gambler wore a pistol. And that's the only difference. In hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's a long way around to answer your question, yeah. but I couldn't tell you one without the other. So, so let me ask you this, and I just got to know this. You keep talking about the bloody bucket. Why did they call it the bloody bucket? Do you have any idea? I do. It was, it was, the name was Avalon Club. But the kind of people who came there, you know, I would be scared to death to pass them on the street today, much less stay in the, you know, bars with them all the time. It opened up in two, and in would come the, the gamblers, the prostitutes, the pimps, the thieves, the, quote, boosters, the car thieves. All those would end. And in that little room, that little building, many, many fights so, you know, shots were shot, <laughs> lights were, tables were turned over. And if you went in there, you might get bloody. <laughs> <laughs> so its nickname was the bloody bucket. <laughs> oh, all right. So, so let's go in a little bit to, uh, now, after you got into uh, Al- uh, Al-Anon, so take me through, I-, I don't know, the first 10 years or so, what was it like learning a new way of life and, and coming out of the way of life that you knew before? What sort of difficulties and struggles did you have in that arena? Yes, well, I come in not believing in God, number one. And so that was difficult me at first. And I'd been then around three months when this little tiny lady approached me. I call it a divine appointment. And she talked to me about something that she said, told me later, she never spoke to anybody about it, but it was just a divine appointment. She said it to me. And I, at that minute, I knew I could trust this woman. And I hadn't trusted anybody forever. So that's the first glimpse in hindsight that God was really pushing me and you know had my back. And I asked her shortly thereafter to sponsor me. And the first night I was there, there was a brand new book out called One Day at a Time. And one of the ladies bought it for me and gave it to me. And I read that like crazy. And I still read that same book every morning for 51 years. Mm. And I still love it. And then my sponsor got me a big book. And I'd go to her house. And we went through that book because it's the textbook of alcoholism. And I was told by her and her husband, his name was Jack, Jack Clater, Pat Clater, and they've long gone to the meet in the sky and abandoned me. And I'm not, I haven't got over that presentment yet. (laughs) And they taught me literally about the disease of alcoholism. And I was told, and I still tell people this today, if you don't understand the disease of alcoholism, you'll never get the Al-Anon program. 
you will never get recovery in its finest because I took it personally. And most people take what's going on in an alcoholic home personally. So I was taught about alcoholism and I could see what he was doing because I listened to the sober AA members every Saturday night. We was an open meeting and I was told to go there and I started hearing what they used to do was what my husband was doing right then. So I got an understanding of the whole thing. I went through the, she took me through the steps and I, of course, absolutely had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps as the 12 step says, and I've been building and loving that relationship with God ever since. And it's changed many, many times till the day he's, I know he's my everything, of course. And about six years in the program, I, I'd had enough. I just had enough. He, um, the cowboy was violent, like I said, and after I came in, they told me to tell him he didn't have the right to hit me anymore. And I told him that, scared to death telling him that, but he agreed. And he didn't for six years. And then one night he came in and just, you know, was very drunk, very crazy, just crazed and beat me up. And my little kids saw it and I knew it was time to leave. So I left and I got a divorce. And all this time I had support from my AA and Al-Anon family. Unbelievable. When I left, somebody rented me an old shack and it was a shack for nothing. Somebody helped me with a car. Somebody helped me get a loan at the bank so I could go to nursing school. And I didn't think I, I was a high school dropout. I didn't think I could do any of that. And so they helped me and I became a nurse. When I graduated, my class asked me to give the class response. Uh-huh. And I looked out in the audience and there was my AA family. But most importantly, there was my mother and my father. And they hadn't invited the next door neighbors that they didn't want seeing me come in and out. And I looked down, I was thanking the families for their support while we were in school. And I looked down at my dad and he was punching Mr. Stewart, the next door neighbor, and pointed and he, and I could read his lips. He said, that's my baby up there. Uh. And it was, you know, full circle, full circle. And I graduated and then everything that I went through, every bad situation, the beatings turned to school. The school turned to me being self-supporting through my own contributions. I was on welfare, which I hated. I hated that. And I I became a self-supporting woman of society, living a great life with some dignity and grace. And I could hold my head up. I didn't have to duck my head to anybody on the planet. And I had these two kids. And about that time, my daughter, I put her to bed one night. She was playing with the Barbies. And the next morning, she got up. She's drinking and running and crawling out of windows and running out all night. Tried to go find her. The fight was on. (laughs) (laughs) So then my focus went to putting Al-Anon as a mother, which that's a whole new game. 
So the next few years of my program was dedicated to trying to have to be a mother. My cowboy kidnapped my little son when he's about nine and I didn't know where he was for a week. We had police out looking, everything. And he had got him and took off to another little town in Texas. And my son called me and said he wanted to live with his dad and just hung up the phone. So there I was, my daughter, I had to kick her out of my house for her bad drinking, bad, bad behavior. By the way, she has 20 years of sobriety now. Oh. And my son was living with his dad and I, I was just alone. And so I had to work through, God, what is the deal? Why are my, my kids? Why are my kids? I had to work steps on my kids. I had to work traditions on my kids. I had to surrender my kids to I didn't know what and be okay with that. That takes a lot of work with the sponsor. That takes a lot of uh, prayer. It takes a lot of meditation. It takes a lot of doing the same thing over and over until it becomes real. And I was literally able to release my kids to the care of God as I understood him. And they're still there today. I've released them and I thank goodness I don't have to pick them up. And my daughter, my daughter talked last night at a meeting and I was there and uh, she said, payback is hell. <laughs> Her daughter she is, is an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Oh, so there's, there's about the first 12 years right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me do a little announcement here. We will be continuing our conversation with Vinoy in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. Uh, you, there you will find approximately 140 or so other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is self-supporting through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Miss. Vinoy S. So I know that you have been busy throughout this quarantine time uh, with a lot of a Zoom meetings. In fact, I think you were on one earlier this morning before we're recording today. Yes, yes. What's it been like for you? You know, uh, all these, uh, I mean, have you enjoyed it? Is it, uh, do you miss the meetings? Tell me a little bit about your experience thus far. Well, I'll tell you this first. I think God loves me so much that in 1935, he put two drugs together and they came with Alcoholics Anonymous. 1951, God put into place al -Anon. And then I don't know what the year, but two guys were in a garage and they, entered, they invented I. I won't say the internet, but the windows that the internet as we know it today. And then a couple of years ago, somebody invented Zoom. And now 
we have this. And I thank God put that all in place just for me. Mm. I love Zoom. Great. I love Zoom. I can't stay. I'm on it literally every day and sometimes two and three times a day. So much so with these crazy glasses I got on are called blue lights because it gives me vertigo. Ah. Zoom gives me vertigo. But I swear, I, you know, I've, I've zoomed all around the world. I, you know, down in, down in Australia, I can go there every Friday night with Anaesia and all of those down there in New Zealand. I've got people over in England. I can go over there, Prague. I talk to some people there, some in Russia, some in Switzerland. I can go to California. I can go to New York. I can go to Canada. Who wouldn't love Zoom? <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't love that? And it, I live by myself. But I had a jump on being kind of quarantined because I had I have vertigo off and on. But it started three years ago so bad I couldn't hardly get up out of my bed for ten about ten months. So I've been, you know, used to being kind of it by myself, but. Not being able to get out and go, you know, recreational shopping is a disaster for a woman. <laughs> so Zoom is my friend. Zoom, I think, is, I truly think, I really do believe that this was all d divinely inspired for us because we got to have, I just heard this morning, there's a low-keyed, we're unconscious of it, craving for unity. I just love that little phrase. Mm -hmm. We need the unity. I need the unity of other Al-Anons talking to me, and I can talk to them and see them on Zoom. I'm doing steps over Zoom for those who can't get to it. I hear alcoholics. If I keep real in tune with alcoholism, I can put up with my mother. I've got grandkids that are alcoholics. <laughs> I've got nieces, great nieces as alcoholics. I've got nephews, grandson. I mean, you know, I have a plethora of alcoholics, I'm telling you. <laughs> and, so, and so I can see all of them. I get to hear, I heard my daughter last night, my other daughter a couple of weeks ago, my grandson a, a couple of weeks ago. I hear all these people. My family is on Zoom, and they live out of state. So it's just, I think it's divinely inspired, and I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Good for you. Good for you. Um, so I, I want to go back and kind of cover another, another subject, which you've referenced a couple times, and that is, uh, and I'm always intrigued by this. Uh, in Al-Anon, uh, there, there are those who kind of, maybe you can explain this. I, 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 I'm not living in that world, so I can't explain it fully, but I know that there are a, there's a segment of Al-Anons who believe that the big book is kind of a, a textbook that can be used, so to speak, in Al-Anon. And there's others who, who believe uh, differently. C can you talk about that a little bit and how that has uh, affected Al-Anon through, throughout the years? I can. Um, that came up probably the first time I remember it. I had about three or four years in the program and our group representative had gone to the district and the district had suggested that we didn't read the big book because it was written by alcoholics for alcoholics. Well, we just laughed it off. We didn't think anything about it. And then it kind of just 
kept coming up every now and then, kept coming up every now and then until today. It's just ridiculous. Um, my groups, every group I've ever been, we're autonomous. So we vote to reference the textbook of alcoholism called the big book in our meetings. Now, there was a regime for a long time that was so against the big book that they were, they just got vengeful and they would delist groups that use the big book. Several of the girls that I sponsor around the country, they got delisted because they referenced the big book, just spoke it, just spoke something out of it. And I, this is my opinion. Of course, I'm right. But this is my opinion. <laughs> Al-Anons who have not read the big book, who do not go to open AA meetings, never understand that this is a disease. And they still have the resentments, the underlying rage against any alcohol, any. And so, therefore, that's where the fight goes. They started a big Al-Anon. This one person got a big Al-Anon conference going. And she, of course, this is the good gossip. This is fodder for gossip. <laughs> and she did not invite me, has not, will not. And because I'm a, I, I talk about the big book and I talk about having a grand sponsor in Al-Anon Sisters. That's the other side of this coin. And I believe it was really, and this again is my opinion, but there was somebody, the head of our, our GSO, our WSO, that his father never got sober. He and I had a talk and he was the executive up there and he and I had a talk. His father not ever got sober, died drunk. It was very mean to him. And this guy hated alcoholism. He hated his father. And he had a big push the last 15 years about no mention of the big book. And I believe it's just some of our Al-Anon-isms. It's just some of the sickness that some people, you know, they think they know best. They think they're no right. And I honestly do believe with all my heart, it's those who do not understand the disease of alcoholism. And they still take it personally because it's the textbook. Half of our program comes out of there. You know, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's, the family is all in the big book. Right, it's right, right. To the wise, family after, to the employer. It's everywhere in there. Right. And I don't know. It's just ludicrous to me, and I never will understand it. And they can delist. And I told the other people, let them delist you. I want you to know that when I came in and for many years later, there was no internet. There was no office, you know, group, uh, central office. We did, God did it by word of mouth. And we don't need to be listed or delisted. God doesn't pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. One group that was delisted because they mentioned the big book for two years, I think. And their, their group literally exploded. It just exploded. So that's the best I can tell you. I, I just think it's just the craziest thing in this world 
not to read the textbook. So when you say they mention the big book, can you give me an example of that? Does that mean it comes up during the the initial readings or something like that? Or somebody just mentions it during a meeting? Well, when I talk all the time, I say the big book says God is either everything or nothing. What's your choice to be? The big book says the seven step prayer says God to offer blah, blah, blah. The big book says we can do da da da. The four step out of the big book says, right. You know, the 10 step says, you know, anything like that. Right, right. Very interesting. Yeah, I, I've had a, a Billy Kay on here before. I don't know if you know her or not. She lives out in the San Diego area and they do a, uh, a study called Big Book Awakenings. Um, and it basically is, it's for, Anybody, whether they're AA, Al-Anon, any sort of other recovery program, and they they basically walk them through the big book as their steps are laid out in there. You know, you do the mm-hmm. six-step prayer, seven-step, you do the four-step yes. as it's laid out in there and all that other good stuff. Yes. I don't see any sort of downside to that, but, you know, I'm sure I could have somebody else on here who would uh, just uh, have another opinion, but nonetheless. They would. They, they absolutely would, and they're entitled to be wrong, and I don't mind it. <laughs> I do. Right now, I'm doing a big book study on Thursdays at six o'clock, and it's for everybody. And we're going through the big book page by page to let people know about alcoholism. And uh, I've I've always done it. I've taken my girls ever since I've been in. We go off for a weekend somewhere. We have a little retreat somewhere, and we, we study the big book over the weekend. Really look at it and read it. I do not take the big book into an Al Anon meeting. And, you know, read it, and that's my whole, no, I refer to it. I right. do take it in, but I don't read in the whole things out of the big book. Of course not. But there's so much references in there. I, I just, I believe with all my heart and soul, the big book is divinely inspired too. How in the world could that, how could that happen? How could two drunks, you know, two drugs, drugs, man, I'm telling you, they're drunk. <laughs> And they spread it all around the world. You know, that you, you just, you cannot not know that God did that. Right. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, okay. So, and you know, another thing, you have mentioned a couple times about your big book study. So I know, but, okay, so here's the challenge, Vinoy, and we're just having this conversation so everybody can hear it. And that yeah. is, I know people are going to be listening to this because we get people from, it's going to be a minimum of 50 countries. It could be over 100 countries. Uh-huh. And they're going to be listening to this and they're going to say, wow, I really like Vinoy. I'd love to get in on her big book study. Now, here's there, there's two pieces to the equation here. I'm kind of backed up on releasing these things right now. So I don't know exactly when I'm going to be able to release this particular episode. So mm-hmm. when it comes time to uh, w- when I'm about to release the episode, what I think what I'm going to do is contact you and see if you have any sort of big book studies going at the time. I can always okay. put them in the show notes, right? With links to those or do you usually okay. do zoom? Is that what you're doing? I'm doing the same. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, uh, like I said, I'll, I'll contact you at that time. If you have anything going on, um, I'll, I'll direct people to that particular Good. link and they can come in Good. and join you on your study. Yeah. And I say every week, 
when I open up. Now, this is not an Al-Anon meeting, so don't send the Al-Anon police to me. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I say at the beginning of this uh, this podcast, you know, we're not sponsored by AA exactly. or, or exactly. anybody else. You know, uh, I put a little disclaimer there at the beginning, uh, you know, so don't send the AA police after me. I, I completely yeah. get it. Um, I'll tell you there's something I would like to talk about. Go for it. For maybe five years ago now, um, I had, well, let's see. I, it was 46. I had 46 years. And I started feeling so bad, really bad. I had dread. I just dreaded everything. Just I dread. I had a little job, part-time job, and I dreaded that. I started dreading going to meetings, and I, I, you know, I'm old and I have old people stuff, so I was starting using those excuses mm -hmm. not to go to my regular meetings. And I love the iPhone. You know, you can see who's calling, and if some goofball you don't talk to, you don't have to answer it, and you can get it back later. It was nickel and diamond, my program. A little white lie here and a little white lie there. I mean, it was building and building and building. And one morning I got up and I could not stand myself. I just couldn't. My life was full of dread and I knew that this is not the way that I was supposed to live. But I called a sponsor who is now, now Largent in uh, Warica. And I called her and I said, you know, I've got all this going on. And I told her, and you know, just... So I had a lot of work to do. Number one, I had to go back through the steps. And number two, I had to go back through the traditions. I was on some boards of some women's conferences and other conferences that I didn't believe that what was going on. I didn't believe in it. I saw too much stuff that was hurtful, and yet I kept going. And that was, you know, piling up, piling up. And I did the traditions, and I went to these three boards and told them what I had done and why, and that I was stepping down from their board. And I had been on some of those boards for 30 years or more. I went to my boss and I told him, I, I dread coming to work every day and I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, here's my dread. Here's a solution I have. And if that's not okay with you, I'll be glad to quit. And he, he looked surprised through the whole thing. And he said, well, that's fine. Go ahead and do that. I don't care. That sounds great. And the dread went boom, just like that, you know, mm -hmm. after I did the work. And all these boards, I asked them, and they did. They worked the traditions. And so they changed things and got those kind of back on track. And, and the point of the story is I had 46 years. And I got myself so messed up that I am convinced it's not how many years you've got. It's your recovery. What does it look like? What's it sound like? How are you walking with it? And I got myself in real trouble at 46 years. And I did all my work, and it. I came out on the other side of that with such freedom and such a dedication that, you know, I will never say no to anything. I made that vow a long time ago, but I renewed that. I will never say no to anything that this recovery asks of me. If I can physically and possibly do it, I'll never say no. 
I don't ever want to nickel and dime my program. I don't want to ever get to the point where I think I don't need to work these steps. I don't need to work these traditions. Look at all the time I've got. And I don't want to start trying to figure it out myself because, oh, I know what she'd say. Oh, I know how to do this. I can't do that. I have to have a sponsor. I have to have sponsorship. And I have to do what that sponsor asks me to do, no matter how much time I have. And, and there again, another spiritual experience that just puts me in better stead with the God of my understanding. And I, I trust him so completely with my life. It's unbelievable. Not an area of my life that I don't give over to God 100%. That is a beautiful way to end this, Ms. Vinoy. Uh, this has yes. been a pleasure. Um, oh, thank you so much. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. God bless you. I'm gonna I'm gonna call Jimmy D right after this and uh, okay. let him know how much I really pay enjoy. attention to. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> I will. Listen. God bless you. Uh, be well. Uh, thank you again for coming on, and you're just an absolute delight, Miss Fenoy. Thank you, darling. I appreciate you very much. My honor. Thank you so, so much, Vinoy S. I so much enjoyed our time together. I am appreciative of you for what only, not only what you've done for the Al-Anon community, uh, but what you've done for the AA community as well. And uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again very soon. And you ended it up there by saying, that there's not one area of your life that you don't give over to God 100%. And uh, it made me consider or ponder um, that I need to meditate on that throughout this week. What area or areas of my life am I not giving over to God 100%? What am I still holding on to? Thank you so much for that insight. I forgot to read out of page 164 of the big book as we ended up that particular episode. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now before we get into listener feedback. Page 164 of the book says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Now, on to a little bit of uh, listener de la feedback for the Sober Speak peeps. Peeps. I sound hip, don't I, when I say peeps? Anyway, Brian writes in, and Brian says, Hi, John, loving the podcast. I know some have complained, but keep up the laughter in big capital letters. <laughs> Laugh out loud, Brian T. Well, I will try to keep up the laughter. <laughs> oh, look, there we go. Nonetheless, uh, but thank you very much for writing in. Jill writes in, and the subject line was Svava from Iceland, or Iceland. By the way, why do they, why, why is that Iceland as opposed to Iceland? Uh, but maybe uh, we over here in the United States just don't pronounce it right. 
Who knows? But anyway, uh, Jill says, John, listening to, you, listening to you trying to pronounce a name, Svava from Iceland. Laugh out loud. My co-workers think I am nuts. Three exclamation points. You are so funny. Well, I, hey, you know, ask my kids if they think I'm so funny. <laughs> I can tell you there's a, there is a wide variety of uh, opinion on that matter. And anyway, she says, and the next episode you say, World Wide Web Internet Thingy. I'm laughing out loud so hard for exclamation points. Well, you know, I don't know if I'm trying to be funny as so much is uh, just I can't think of the word at the time. But anyway, and and I doubt I'm the only one who cannot pronounce Svava from Iceland. Iceland. Anyway, she says, thank you. I'm going through a divorce. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So I don't laugh much these days. Thank you, Jill H. Well, Jill, I'm, I'm glad that that uh, we could provide a little bit of levity uh, you know as the big book says page what is it 132 we are sure God wants us to be happy joyous and free and um, uh, and this is not a veil of tears and that we need to have a little bit of levity and laughter and you know uh, I realize uh, and and I want to tell you this now I'm going on, uh, on a tangent but nonetheless I, I remember reading that uh, we are sure God wants us to be happy joyous and free when I first got sober and I will tell you that I thought if I wasn't happy and joyous and free there was something wrong with me um, and that's not the case uh, that just means that we from my perspective at least we can be happy and joyous free but there are also those times there are also those times when uh, I'm going through despair I'm going through depression I'm going through anger I'm going through a lot of different emotions I'm going through the human experience is what it comes down to and just because I'm not happy joyous and free at that moment doesn't mean that I'm doing something wrong Anyway, thank you so much for writing in, Jill. Appreciate it. Jeff writes in and he says, John, listening to episode number 145 and the update you gave on your father and your stepmother. I hope all goes well and my thoughts are with you and your family at that at this time. It helped. It makes you realize that taking one day at a time also means telling those that we love and we care how much we feel about them and how they mean and what they mean to us because we don't know what life will give us tomorrow. Thank you for your wonderful service, Jeff from Sydney, Australia. Jeff, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, I had many of you write in and DM me on Instagram uh, talking about my mother, excuse me, my father and my stepmother, uh, just in case you're listening to this and you don't know what they're referencing. Um, they both got COVID-19, uh, but they're on the mend now, but it was a very scary time. And thank you for everyone uh, who reached out uh, to me. And, and once again, I know I'm not the only one going through health issues, either with myself or with my family. And uh, um, you guys are out there as well and you're experiencing many of the same things. But God bless you. And thank you, Jeff, from Australia, writing in. 
Joe writes in, he says, Hi, John, I just listened to Doug M. Part 2, and I heard what he said about having a resentment about his expectations about having children that didn't work out to his plan. This reminded me of something I heard on another one of your episodes. My expectations are my planned resentments. I use this every day in my life. It's not always easy, but it's what I have. I'm not near perfect in my sobriety, but this puts things into perspective. And I love your show and I love your quirkiness. Rock on. And he's got like rock on hands there, you know, the little like a horn symbol. Thank you, Joe. Well, rock on to you. But by the way, is it quirkiness or quirkiness? And and is quirkiness and quirkiness basically the same thing? I don't know, and it doesn't really matter, but I understand exactly what you're saying, Joe. Rock on to you, man. Rock on. Thank you, Joe. Todd writes in and he says, John, I stumbled upon your podcast several months ago. Absolutely love the podcast. I've been listening to the podcast starting at episode one. I just finished episode 50 with Brenda. Simply awesome. Made my day. Thanks again, John, for helping to keep me sober. Todd R. from Palma, Parma, Ohio. Thank you, Todd, for writing in, and I passed on your comments to uh, uh, Brenda, and uh, I know it always lights up the speaker's days, day or day or night or whatever it is when they get it, when they hear uh, comments from you guys writing in. I really do appreciate it. Destiny writes in, love that name, Destiny. She says, hi, John, thank you so much for your podcast, exclamation point. I work from home and always have it on while I'm not on conference calls. I get so much good stuff from your podcast, exclamation point. I'm behind the times. I got sober on April 13th, 2020 and found your podcast a couple of months later. I am currently on episode 68, working to catch up. Just on the last couple of episodes, I've heard you mention the super secret Facebook group. That's right, because we didn't have the uh, uh, Facebook group when we first started. She says, I'd love to be added if possible. My email is such and such. She says, P.S., I love your laughs while your guests are sharing. It it shows you're actually listening and engaged. Keep up the good work. Destiny E. Well, Destiny E, thank you so much. And I'm glad we can add a little bit of a... lightness to your day when you're not on conference calls. I sure do appreciate it. Mike writes in and Mike says, hello, my name is Mike. I have a question. I'm not sure if I qualify for a, for membership in AA. Oh yeah. I remember this one. Yeah. Um, he says, I definitely qualify for Al-Anon and, and have attended some meetings in the past, but I felt like there was something missing. I know that the only qualification for AA is the desire to stop drinking, but I no longer drink. I swore off the booze for the umpteenth time after on too many unsuccessful attempts to drink like a normal person. I quite often overdid it was a blackout drinker and never could have, quote, just one, unquote. Drinking wasn't an issue until a couple of months ago when the alcohol-free relationship I was in ended in a breakup. Now I'm starting to think about drinking again, and I don't want to. 
I also recognize that I use food, women, or TV to fill the hole that booze had in the past. I know that I can go to open AA meetings, but I really, but what I really want and need is a community and guidance. I'm, I'm just not sure if I'm barking up the wrong tree in my search for help. So my question is, do I qualify for AA membership? I don't drink anymore. Thanks for the great podcast. So I emailed back Mike and I suggested to him that he posts something like this in the secret Facebook group. Uh, and, but he's not a Facebook guy. And we kind of went back and forth. Uh, I asked him if he wanted me to read this on the episode, on the, um, uh, on the podcast, and he says, sure, that's just fine. And if any of you have some feedback you want to pass on to him, I'll be happy to put the uh, send Mike uh, the email. But I will say this, uh, you know, I, I was just saying, you know, you need local support. In my opinion, people would need local support, and whether it's Mike or anybody, right? They need local support, uh, need to get to meetings. And uh, in terms of qualifying for membership, the only quali- the only uh Qualification for membership is a desire to stop drinking, and you'll hear this time after time, Mike, but nobody can tell you you are an alcoholic but yourself and whether you qualify for member uh, uh, for membership in AA. But thanks for writing in, Mike. Sharla writes in, Sharla says, Hi, John, I'm Sharla from the Midwest, and I love, in all big capital letters, your podcast. It's been a saving grace for me over the past two years. I am a grateful member of Al-Anon. Well, if you just listened to what we had on with uh, Vinoy, you should be uh, uh, enlightened by now. Enlightened's not the word, but uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Nonetheless, and your podcast brings me perspective, compassion, and a deepening love for my higher power and humanity. Oh, that's nice. My first episode was the quote, the Gary K episode and his story and his voice who brought me home in a sense, totally drew me in and I've fallen in love with your podcast ever since. The, these experiences touch my life in the best of ways. I am reaching out to try to find online meetings out West. Why? I am a single mom. I work full time and I have two teens at home and my schedule doesn't allow me uh, to a meeting until 9 or 10 p.m. I was hoping you or some of your listeners might have some uh, open AA online meetings or Al-Anon meetings they could recommend in the mountains or Pacific time zones. I'll be reaching out to Spencer from the recovery show as well about this too. I've been listening to nothing but the two of your podcasts on my daily commute to and from work for two years. What a blessing this has been for me. Well, it's a blessing for us too, Miss Charlotte. You know, John, I grew up in the chaos of alcoholism and the aftermath of it and how it affected my entire life. There has been a lot of suffering, abuse, mental health crisis, and the disease has definitely spread to more of the people I love. Then I married it with a whole strategy and drama in between. I am working 
my 12 steps with a sponsor. Love you, Darlene. Well, hello, Darlene. Shout out to you, Darlene. And I would love, and I would very much love to share my experience and strength and hope with you one day. Your work is beautiful as you are shining a light in a dark space, illuminating the acceptance, hope, and grace through personal experiences, a big heart. And then she says, also, please give a shout out to David G. He all, he often takes my feelings and turns them into words for me to better under, understand myself and articulate those feelings to others. I am so grateful. Many blessings to you, your guests, and your listeners. Well, as you know, Sharla, I just reached out uh, and suggested that you uh, place your request in the, the, the Facebook group in terms of meetings that are available. I know Oh, that there are tons of Al-Anon and AA meetings in the Mountain and Pacific time. I mean, I get those notices all the time via uh, email or in the Facebook group. But once again, if you're not in the Facebook group, and uh, not you, Charlotte, I know you are, but if there are others of you not in there and you would like to come on in and send me your email to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com, and you know, ask questions like that in there. You have you have uh, uh, over a thousand people in there uh, that can help. Yeah, Anthony writes in and he says, and, and, and the title of it was struggling. And he says, thanks for the ad to the Facebook group, John. My story is sort of unique, but not common. I've never, ever, ever had a problem with alcohol in my life until two years ago. Prior to that, I rarely drank at all and bottles of beer or liquor would stay in my house for years untouched. In March of 2018, I underwent a drastic surgery to lose weight. The result of this surgery causes my body to absorb alcohol very quickly. Per doctor's orders, I never touched it, and then came Thanksgiving of 2018, and I allowed myself to have a single glass of wine, which trashed me. Part of me was shocked at how lightweight I was, and and I was and could never say could even say I was a cheap date. So I started to drink more because what is the harm of the occasional single glass of wine ever so often, right? Well, every so often got more and more frequent. And then in December, my mother passed away. Suddenly I was crushed and started to find the only way to forget about it was to drink myself to sleep each night. Now I can't seem to stop and it frankly scares me. I've tried and can only seem to manage a week without alcohol. I don't have withdrawal symptoms, but I do have a craving that seems to have taught me uh, until I have a drink. I've tried tricking my brain and drinking non-alcoholic beers and wines with no success. I'm scared of this and I want it to stop, Anthony. Well, Anthony, as you know, I uh, emailed back, uh, suggested also that you go ahead and post something in the Facebook group. You would definitely get some feedback there, but I don't think you do Facebook group and it wasn't your thing. Um, also suggested that uh, possibly uh, you get to an AA meeting, uh, but uh, you were saying that COVID-19 makes that a little difficult. And... um. Just like the other people that that I've talked to in this show, um, I would suggest, uh, 
I'm not trying to solve this for you. I'm trying to be real careful with my words here. But the people that I have seen be successful, I'll put it that way, uh, get grafted in with a local um, support group. And that means local AA meeting is what it comes down to. And uh, even though COVID-19 is going on, there are tons of um, uh, the, the, the good news about the COVID is that there are tons of uh, online meetings and they're, you're able to find those. But uh, um, anyway, God bless you, my friend, uh, and uh, keep me posted. Sam writes in, as Sam says, hi, John, I want to start off and say your podcast is absolutely wonderful. What an amazing way to spread the message. I have a year and a half of sobriety and, and it is truly amazing in recovery. I am a police officer in Canada and your podcast makes the long 12 hour shifts go by without a smile and occasional tear. With a smile and occasional tear, excuse me, it is. It has had the same effect on me as uh, as leaving a real live meeting. Oh, that's great, uh, Sam. That, that is fantastic. It has been such an impact on me that I have decided to inquire about starting my own recovery based podcast. I'm very passionate about the program and recovery. I am very open about my recovery, especially in my job. I see people in their worst days and the majority of people I deal with have some form of addiction or mental health issues. I speak recovery and do the 12 step with them and it has such an impact coming from someone in uniform. I bet it does, Sam. I have been able to spread the message and really enjoy the 12 step and that's another reason why I'm thinking about doing this. Thanks, Sam S. Alcoholic. Well, Sam S. and I and, and I have uh, uh, communicated a few times. He wanted a little, a couple of tidbits on how to get a podcast started. And uh, the more recovery podcasts we have, the better. And so, uh, Sam, good luck in your quest. I know you'll do fantastic and uh, keep me posted. Finally, Rebecca, our Kiwi, writes in and she says, Kia Ora John, I am listening to part two of David G, and I concur that the book Boundaries is a fab book. I read it maybe 24 to 25 years ago sober. Hashtag slow learner here. <laughs> Ka kiti anyo. Ka, ka kiti ano. I still really don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but you know what I'm saying. It's it's basically good wishes or something like that back at you. All right. Thank you, Rebecca, for writing in. And thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of Sober Speak. And keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm going one week at a time here. I should be back next week. God bless you all. Love you.